1: Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Use code DNVR when you sign up for a new account to get amazing odds boosts every single day. Rudo, Megan, JC, coming to you on an off day here. All of us, the sick ones, all on the podcast.
2: Yeah.
1: AJ and Blaze abandoned us while we're all sick. Great say team. the team.
2: The two that are feeling the most up to this just bounced. <laughs>
1: Fucking Killing Blaise. us. Killing us out here. Uh, it's been a while since we've looked around the league, since we've talked about around the league things. So we figured we wanted to do that and, and give in to the, uh, the, the juicy rumory side of who's going to be buyers, who's going to be sellers at the trade deadline. Uh, this was of course, inspired by whatever the hell that was from Vancouver a couple days ago. Um, uh, uh Wow. Can we just start? Can we start
2: with them just because it's such yes. an interesting situation? Let's please uh, start with them. I guess I don't even know if like interesting is the right word, man. Like it's just, uh, I don't know of another team that's in like a worse Their situation in terms of they're not bad enough to be really, really bad, but they're also just not very good. They have bad deals. <clears throat> the JT Miller contract made no sense. Yeah. Ten seconds after it was signed, um, well, I don't know if that. And they're saying they don't want to rebuild; they want to retool. It's like that's what you
1: already messed up. <laughs> need to do major surgery, but it's a retool.
2: Right, right. I just, I just don't get it. On top of that, press conference being kind of a debacle uh just what they were saying also just didn't make any sense to me
1: it it's again i they're just stuck right like they say they want to do a retool i think because they have to say that because jt miller's contract is unmovable yeah, you're stuck with four years of Connor Garland, you're stuck with four years of Ilya McKay, five years of Ekman Larson, who's 31. They have so many of these deals that they're tied up in that are just going to be so difficult to move. I just the cost for them to actually properly rebuild seems like it would be crazy.
2: Well, and then for me, you know, like, <clears throat> and again, it's easy to use the abs because they're seven months removed from a cup championship, but. Like, you know, you, you look at a team like the Abs or, you know, a team like Tampa, wh- whomever, right? When both those teams were faced with the idea of, do we tear it down to the studs and start over? For the Abs, it was after the 16-17 season. For the Bolts, it was after the four-game uh, sweep by the, the Columbus Blue Jackets. And both those front offices had to look internally and say, do we strip this down and start over because something isn't working? Or do we have the pieces that we need to kind of just forge ahead and we need to make some tweaks around the edges? When you look at each of those teams, when they were faced with those decisions, you had for the abs players like Nathan McKinnon, Gabe Landeskog, Miko Rantanen. Uh, you just drafted Kale McCarr. You felt really good about that. You had things internally to be excited about saying, we feel we have championship caliber pieces it was the same thing in tampa bay right they took a step back and said well do we really want to start over when we've spent this long building it up to victor hedman braden point steven Stancoast, nikita kudrop etc etc andre vasilevsky when i look at the vancouver canucks for them to say they are forging ahead i don't think they have one player that is in that tier of the names that i just listed elias petterson's he's very good quinn hughes is a good defenseman you're about to move on from Bo Horvat, who's your big offensive you know, scoring driver. Elias Pettersson has shown so far that he's streaky, right? When he's at his best, he's really good, but he disappears. And then Quinn Hughes has just turned out to be a, a, a good puck-moving defenseman. That first year, a lot of people thought, wow, he has the chance to be an elite, all-world guy. He's turned out to be very good, and that's really about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have, don't undersell him. He's really good. He's just he's, not. He's
2: very good. He's. But but how many times, Rudy, have we talked about like there is a difference between very good and then that next tier?
1: For sure. And, that, and I just, That's what he's not.
2: Yeah. Right. And, and that's and that's what I'm saying. Like I, I just and I think if you are going to decide we're going to forge ahead with the group we have because we think all we need is tweaks. I think you need one or two of those players in that that next tier to say we are feel confident in what we have here, because to me you just have a bunch of good to very good players, and it's not working.
1: Megan, the uh, the chat has watched your face go from as happy as you can be when you're sick to just shock horror as you look down Vancouver's contract sheet. <laughs> uh, is it I, hopeless?
0: <laughs> Oh, it's really bad. So I knew JT Miller's contract was bad, and I have separate feelings about culturally what Miller's presence in that locker room detracts from Vancouver's ability to move forward. But I was also shocked by Ekman Larson's contract. It is also really bad. And that is where I think they have really gotten their hands tied that make this difficult to move on from. But I'd agree in looking at the pieces that they're probably looking to build around, it's Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, I think Thatcher Demko has had some issues with injury that have made this season not pan out to what he wanted and what Vancouver would have hoped, which has put them in a difficult position with goaltending that they also don't have a great solution for, for the future. It's because like Jesse mentioned, and I think you would agree there isn't really much they can do to move some of these contracts that they need to. People are not going to be interested. The only real person that they have a chance of moving is Bo Horvat. And he might've been one of the only positive pieces on this team. presently.
1: I want to talk about Bo Horvat in a second. First, you, it's not just that they've given out these long contracts for probably overpays, it's that they gave them out to a bunch of pretty good players, not right. good enough, but right. pretty good enough to where it's like, well, now they can't tank for Bedard, right?
2: And 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 that's more my thing with, you know, guys like Quinn Hughes and Elias because I don't want to shortchange like those are very good players. Those are very good, very talented players. Um, but again, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head, Rudo. Like. The guys that they have are—they're—they're they're the Minnesota Wild from five years ago, before Kirill Kaprizov showed up. That's who the Vancouver Canucks are barreling towards being. We'll, we'll I... hang around the fringes of the playoffs every year. We'll miss more years than we make it. If we make it, we really won't. You know, we don't have the guys to go on a deep run.
1: I—I <clears throat> I think that's generous. I think they're closer to being the 2010-2011 Colorado Avalanche, to be honest with you. They've made the playoffs once in the last seven years, and they're staring down the barrel of this being a failed attempt at building a hockey team. It's bad.
2: It's bad. And and then, I don't know, the whole Bruce Boudreaux thing, I don't fully understand because everyone's saying, like, we'll just fire him. They know they're going to fire him, but they won't. I don't know. That whole thing is, is, is it, does anybody know, is it similar to like the fucking uh, Raiders situation where like they can't afford to fire him or something like that? Or why? I have no idea. Cause like, I, I feel bad. Like for Bruce Boudreau, if he's showing up every day, knowing he's going to be fired, Megan's either frozen or furious at what I'm saying.
1: Why not both? Perfect.
2: Um, <laughs> I would love so much if she just blinked right now.
1: <laughs> actually would be terrifying <laughs>
2: I was gonna say, i'd probably log off um, but yeah the whole the whole bruce boudreau thing i just i just don't fully understand the like i don't understand the situation why does it seem like it's such public knowledge that he's going to be fired i mean obviously it hasn't been a good season for them but um i don't know it's just all kind of weird
1: yeah, I I don't understand the Boost Boudreaux situation either. I'm not going to pretend to. Um it, it, more interesting was the way they talked about the Bohorvat situation. Hmm. To me, at least. Um it, they basically came out and said like, Yeah, you know, we, we think we have some fair offers on the table, but we don't think they're enough. But they're fair. Yeah. But we want more, yeah. Don't we all?
2: (laughs) One, what's to take it a step
1: further? What I think is going to be interesting.
0: Am I still frozen?
1: You're no unfrozen, but a little laggy. Yeah, your
2: face is made up of like (laughs) 25 pixels. This
0: is so bad. I'm sorry, (laughs)
1: it's all good. (laughs) The technology is sick too. It's just that kind of a week. Yeah.
2: It might be. It's unfortunate timing.
0: Technology for the is sick.
2: Uh, it's unfortunate timing for the Canucks. You know, they need a big return for a guy like Bo Horvat to try to jumpstart whatever it is that they're trying to do. And it just so happens to be in the same year that Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves are available. Jonathan Taves is going to be available for less yeah um like there's there's some guys out there this year at the trade deadline like Bo Horvat isn't the only show coming to town you know what I mean
1: yeah I hard agree it's not like they have the the market like when Tampa had to pay you know a first and a second for Pullman it's teams aren't going to be that desperate for value out there right now. They're they're going to have options. It's, uh, dare I say, a buyer's market.
2: Bro, Yessie Pulley arvey was healthy scratch the other night. I, yeah. I, I think that's a dude that you could get for, in relative terms, nothing, yeah. who would have a, be put in a much better situation to succeed here. I just think cool. that's such an interesting one, dude.
1: Total tangent and... In- minnesota's not sellers but matt dumba randomly scratched the other day too uh uh,
2: and again tonight actually i think i saw uh russo saying uh that dean evison said he knows why he's not playing uh yeah i don't know that's that's really weird isn't he oh no it's jared spurgeon's a captain Yeah, yeah
1: uh megan did you blow your the nose of your internet receiver or something you look much better now
0: I I hope so. I take the cartridge
2: to, out, blow all the dust
0: out. Just a quick little sinus rinse. I don't know. I hope it's working. I'm on data now, so hopefully it is fine.
1: Much better. Spending the
2: Yo, big bucks. I uh I did a sinus rinse this morning and I hate it, but you feel so good when it's done.
1: It's the worst, but it's I the hate best. It so but It's
2: so much the
0: best. <laughs>
2: Uh, it's just the weirdest uh, amount of pressure you'll, like, ever feel in your life. Weird, I want to make sure, is the keyword there.
1: While you were lagging there, Megan, we were talking about Bo Horvat, Vancouver's weird spot with his pricing. Can Can they get what they want? Can they get multiple young pieces that can step into the NHL right now, or do you think they really need to look at a futures package there?
0: Just if we are sticking with the comparison to the 2010-2011 Avs, I think a futures package is really important um, because this does feel like even in, I think it was Rutherford's availability, that this retool is a year out in the making for them in his eyes. And so I don't know that there are any immediate returns that would really salvage this current Vancouver team. It would probably make it a lot better, but it puts them in the difficult position of if they are not committed to properly tanking, like I don't think they'll ever come out and say as much, that affects the draft lottery and their ability to maybe get something in return for the future. So I think they have to consider building around future considerations because they are at minimum a year out from looking more competitive in my Uh, opinion. See, see,
2: here's the other thing, because I fully agree with you, Megan. I fully agree with you. And what I thought was so weird about this, the press conference and stuff the other day was how they're saying that they want NHL ready players. They don't want futures. And like, I, I take a step back at that. And to me, it's a couple, it's primarily, I think that's pressure from the market that Vancouver feels like they can't go through. They can't start a rebuild now after to your point, Ruto, having not made the playoffs six of the last seven years, And this is the exact type of thing that gets teams in trouble across all major sports. It's why the Broncos suck because they feel the pressure from the fans and they say, well, we can't start over. We're already in this room. We might as well just slap this together. And I think that's what you've got with Vancouver the last few years is they're trying really hard to please a, a very demanding market. And you're just digging yourself further and further into this hole Take the the abs and the Rangers. I don't know why after watching what those two teams did in a season and a half, I don't know why teams are so afraid of a rebuild. The abs and the Rangers showed if you commit to it and do it the right way, it does not have to be this long, grueling five to seven year process. You acquire picks, you you do your scouting and, and, and you, you, you make the moves that you need to make
1: trust your picks to play in the nhl at a rapid pace yeah
2: right and 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 i i just i just don't get what this fear that everybody especially in the nhl has about rebuilding when you just watch two teams go from bottom of the barrel top three lottery picks to stanley cup contenders in the abs case stanley cup champions in, in less than like
1: three years and as chat has lost their minds about still can't spell Kuzmenko right but uh Vancouver has shown that's how you get a path to a quick rebuild is you go find guys like Kuzmenko and you drop them into your lineup and they find success now unfortunately because they suck Kuzmenko is a UFA at the end of the year and very well very well may walk on this team yeah which just should reinforce the that
0: they should probably blow it up
1: in my opinion there
0: isn't an instant gratification solution i think we've seen ways that this shoots teams in the foot even vegas and their silliness with caps or convention and looking for pieces that are immediately going to improve the team they discovered pretty quickly that it just doesn't work that way and i think that that's today's nhl that there are really talented players but adding talented pieces to a team that is struggling on the whole is not going to bring them to the finish line.
2: So Megan, I'm glad you said that because that's one of the things I've been laughing about over, over the last month, month and a half when the abs, you know, have been struggling is all the people that are like, well, they need to go out and do something. Chris McFarland needs to do something. He needs to go make a move to do something. It's like, okay, so you want him to go do something. You want him to go make one move. That's just going to fix the, the problem is, you you, you, had, you know, you have a roster that at times for the abs, you know, has struggled featuring Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Kale McCarr, Arturi Lekkanen, uh Devon Tate. Like, wh- wh- what do you mean go do
1: something? Go get who? They go who? going to around. They did. They went out and traded Drayton Hunt for Dennis Mulligan. Ah,
2: you are correct.
1: Right. A- and they, what happened? Dennis Mulligan got hurt too. <laughs> they did something.
2: They did something. You're 100 right, Rudo. Great call. They did something, and I guess that's what all everyone wanted. And, and and this is all just tongue in cheek. To, it drives home your point, Megan, of when when you are when your team is in a rut, especially like Vancouver, a multi year rut. Short of Connor McDavid, you just aren't gonna go bring in any one player that's gonna fix. And even Connor McDavid, as we're seeing in Edmonton isn't just the end all be all Mr. Fix it. You don't have any problems. If this guy's on your team, like Vancouver's got an identity problem, you know, the, the, the JT Miller thing, I don't want to like blow it too out of proportion, but you know, the, the, the fact that that frustration towards teammates is bubbling over onto the ice, the way that it did, there's larger issues here than just personnel. So for Vancouver to come out and say, well, we want guys that we can drop onto our NHL roster. You got to figure out who you are first. That's something that I think doesn't get talked about enough with the abs and what Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland did was they didn't just go out and get good players. They went out and built an identity and they said, not only do we want good players, we want players that fit these molds. Leadership can play with pace, can play with skill, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how they built their team. And that's why it worked so well.
1: It's building an identity is a multi-year process too, right? The Avs rise to power from 16, 17. Yes, they kept the core of the team together, but a lot of that rise comes from getting value out of ELC players. Obviously, Kale McCarr's grand slam home run. You can't do any better than that, but you look through the rest of their lineup and, and they're getting ridiculous amounts of value from those guys. Yeah. Ego Rantanen was a draft pick a couple years before the real rise began. You get into the rise and you're getting value out of Bo and Byram, Alex Newhook, a, a little bit of a different sense of value out of Justin Barron, but you still oh, flip yeah. him for the piece that you oh, need.
2: Dude, I was going to say, I mean, maybe even like the most value. For sure. Well, and, and- and then, and then to your point, Rudo earlier about Kuzmenko. What the ABS did well have have done well under this regime is when they've had to move on from prospects and picks and stuff, they have found ways to circumvent that lost value, whether it be through bringing a guy like Val Nichushkin back from the KHL, using yep. taking advantage of the waiver wire to find meaningful pieces. Like Abe Kubel was dressed in game six of the Stanley Cup final. He was a waiver wire claim. Like they, they, they got creative and just said, we are embracing this identity that we built and we are not afraid to embrace it. However, that means. And I think you look at a team like Vancouver and it's not just Vancouver but I think you look at some of these teams, a lot of them in Canadian markets that, that kind of fold to the pressure of the market. And it's, well, the the fans are going to be pissed if we don't sign JT Miller because we didn't trade him. So I guess let's just sign him. Even though, even though, you know, when they laid down in bed that night, they were like, hope that works. Hope that works out. And you should never be building a team on, I hope that works out. You should be doing everything on, we feel really good about this, and we, we feel like this is going to take us to the next level. It's not always going to work, right? It's... But
0: I think two other good examples of this is giving up, that's not the right word for it, on Drew Hellison, but getting a Josh Manson in return. Yeah. Someone who immediately fits into the Avs lineup, has yep. a key role in their playoff run. Versus a player that you would hope could become like a Josh Manson in the future, but is a few years off. And then even Lucas Sedlak. I think he would have been a great depth addition had he not been claimed off waivers. Like, I think, especially with the status of Darren Helm being what it is, I think the Avs would have really liked Lucas Sedlak to have panned out here as a 13th forward option this point in the season. And that's something that was also kind of an unconventional pickup that they get him over from the KHL back into the NHL. And I think, again, it things happen. He gets picked up off waivers like they couldn't predict the future. But I think the Avs have been doing things to keep pieces in place and set them up to have options. Um, I mean, there's a lot of offseason signings that point to that. Anton Blita isn't exactly what you'd hope for. But at worst, he is going to be a key player for the Colorado Eagles and it's similar with the Charles Houdon. Like These are also new players to the organization who've been added as depth pieces with little cost or risk to the organization. And I think this is just points to the Avs organization constantly doing things it's, to build around the roster.
1: It's about the lack of risk. I think that's the perfect, perfect word for it, Megan. Because you look at the Avs, most of their large contracts were signed after the Stanley Cup, or you're talking about a genuine all-time caliber player that they're signing long-term. and The Val Nichushkin new contract is signed after they win a Stanley Cup, not right. Vancouver signing JT Miller in the hopes that they're going to go and get better. Right. And and the Avs have done such a good value of finding low-risk contracts. The Andre Burakovsky deal, uh, you go, not a contract, but the, the Nazem Kadri trade. They found these guys that are more valuable than they have yep. risk.
2: Yep. No, a hundred percent. And, and the, the, the cadre one is, I actually think a little bit of an unsung one, because that was a guy that they identified as not only do we think this player fits, but wow, that's a great deal. Um, you know, that, 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 has term on it and, and we feel good. And it's just, I guess my kind of last thing on, on Vancouver for now, until one of you guys says something that's interesting. Um, you know, we talked so much last year, the last two years, really. And, and it's led to some disagreement on this pod about stages that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, NHL teams, you know, kind of exist in and then how that kind of flow works and how you have to go from acquire as many picks and prospects as you can to, all right, now you got to get these picks and prospects into the league and see what you've got, see what you can move on from to now we're in the business of getting rid of the guys that can't help us right now and bringing in players like Josh Manson, you know, we're moving on from Drew Hellison because as, as highly as we think of him, we are trying to win a Stanley cup right now, today, Drew Hellison can't help us do that. Who can we go get? That does help us. To me, Vancouver really is back into that first stage where they just need to, even if it's just for this season and this off season, they need to acquire some picks and some prospects and get some lottery tickets here and just see what they can hit on. And then if you want to next year, move into that next phase where you start plugging a bunch of those guys into the NHL and kind of turn the keys over <laughs> to that next wave. Um, but I, I I feel like they act like they are in that championship phase with this, the JT Miller type stuff.
1: Uh, I agree. And, and the problem is, what is their next wave? Pod Colson has right. not it's really worked out the way that they'd hoped he would and you look down the rest of their lineup as their their prospect guys Hoglander again they haven't had that breakout prospect dude but he's got ever so yet. many
2: sick youtube videos though
1: <laughs> youtube scouting the best way to to yeah. get value and you know maybe maybe they do get something out of these guys but it doesn't feel like they have that real next wave of guys coming and if you don't have that wave you kind of have to start over
2: right right i completely agree and 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 again i don't get why teams are so afraid of that when you look at what the rangers were able to do in one offseason go from bottom of the barrel to competitive playoff team and then the abs in five seasons five went from the worst team in the modern NHL era to having not missed the playoffs since and a Stanley Cup championship. They were competitive within let's even not count the Nashville year because that was kind of an unexpected fun year they got in they got bounced uh you know in the first round. So even if you don't count that. This is a legitimately competitive team 18 months after the 48 point finish. Going back to the playoffs regularly. I don't get why teams are so afraid of it. There have been two teams in the last five years that have proven if you commit to it and do it the right way, you can turn your organization around to respectable in the right direction. They're not, doesn't guarantee you're going to win a Stanley cup championship or to the Eastern conference finals two years later, but it shows it's possible. If you commit to it and do it the right way enough with this retool shit, you know, if you're in the situation like, the Vancouver Canucks are all retooling does is get you further from the end goal.
1: I I tend to agree, but uh if you think you're smarter than NHL GM's when it comes to retooling and rebuilding, go make yourself some money on DraftKings by betting on the good teams and against the bad ones. You can go over there right now and you use code DNVR to sign up. You bet on any. NFL divisional playoff game, you bet five bucks on it, you get $200 in free bets. So jump on it, go get yourself $200 in free bets, and then bet on Vancouver to tank or to figure out the retool and win a cup. I don't care what you do with your money, it's your money. But you know, I would imagine you're trying to win money, so I wouldn't bet on Vancouver, put it that way. Uh, anyway. Go over there, get on DraftKings. You can bet on whatever you want. There's ridiculous sports. If you want to have fun with it, you can bet on insane stuff. So go check it out. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms, restrictions, and conditions apply. See the show notes down below for details. And, of course, if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're also brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. Uh, A little birdie told me, They're now going to be the best amber ale ale available out there. Uh, Some other ones might no longer be available. So if you're an amber drinker, you got to get with Breck Brew. You got to get their Avalanche Amber Ale. Uh, I love it. If you've ever been to the bar, you know that's pretty much all I drink. So easy, easy dub for me that they're my go-to amber ale. Uh, you can also find them at your local liquor store, use the Breck Beer Locator online at Breckbrew.com. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Jesse, you have something to say to the class? You should unmute yourself if you have something oh, no. to say.
2: Damn it. Vaguely <laughs> so we're already going to address the comment that says McKinnon was a toss-up of a draft pick. I'll even give you that they got lucky that McCar turned out to be the player that he was. Anybody that saw him in that draft year knew that he was going to be good. McKinnon was not a toss-up. He was a consensus top two pick for years. And then after the Memorial Cup, when he took Seth Jones' lunch money twice, everyone was like, no, this is probably the – this is probably the best player. It was no question that he was the best offensive player in that draft. Everyone, everyone knew he was going to turn out to be a a, a superstar. I don't know if people were expecting him to become like an elite top three player in the world, but McKinnon being who McKinnon is, is not like a huge stroke of luck. That was, that was pretty well scouted for multiple seasons.
1: I mean, there's a couple things here. Two, the abs ended up with Sasha Barkov, which would have been the other forward they would have taken. He's also really freaking right, good. Right, right. <laughs> and, and the Seth Jones thing is very weird. I know the Avs fan base was very about the Seth Jones thing because the Avs defense was so bad at the time. Yeah. The Avs were never taking Seth Jones. Even before the draft at the time, Joe Sackett was like, no, we're taking a forward.
2: <laughs> well, it's just what I've, what I've loved about the Avs – <clears throat> even when Patrick Walk came in, they had the, men- the mentality and the mindset of, we are taking the best player available in the top part of the draft. I think you see teams all the time get too cute with drafting for need. And it's like, no, in the- especially in the first round, and in my opinion, even the second round, you take the best player available. You know, Connor Timmons, the Avs had just used the fourth overall on a defenseman. And they doubled down with the first pick of the second round and said, Connor Timmins because they felt that was the best player. That was the highest ranked player on their board. And to your point, Ruto, the Avs had McKinnon and Barkov ranked high, very high. They've taken the best player available and it's gotten them to where they are. They thought Kale McCarr was, there was plenty of conventional wisdom that said, don't take an AJHL player in the top five. They said, no, when we take a step back and look at this, we think that's the best player. And it's worked out.
1: Yep. Uh, it's.
2: It, look, weird stuff. It's not happens. gaslighting. Go back and look at the McKinnon draft year. Go back and look. Go back and look. Read the scouting reports. Now you made me look silly because I got all worked up. Kay K- got you. <laughs> <laughs> sick i got the cat walking all over here putting his butt in my face the thing
1: about (laughs) draft picks is you can't miss top five picks yeah you you, that's you miss top five picks that's how you become the arizona coyotes like it's just the reality you can't miss
2: what was the old stat i I don't know how much you actually can hold this to now but it, it used to be like scouts would say if you miss on a top 10 pick it sets your organization back 10 years
1: yeah, I, I don't know if it was that far, but it's definitely not good. It's not good. Yeah, and, can't miss and, on those. And that's what the Avs have done so well. They're of their top ten picks, the only one that you can argue was a miss since twenty fourteen is Tyson Jost. Yeah, poor one. Hell. So anyway.
2: Which even Second, then, that's a 10th overall.
1: Right. And and like, I know people are big mad about it. Go look at the history of the 10th overall pick. Tyson Jost is not outside the norm for that pick. It's,
2: it's a lot of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So is that
1: sick as hell or like, eh? <laughs> Second period of this podcast, I do want to get into some of the other teams around the league. I'm interested who you guys think will ultimately be sellers. And like, look, obviously anaheim's a seller obviously chicago and arizona are sellers we get that but some of these teams in the mucky middle where do you think some of these guys end up a team like florida a team like buffalo team like nashville do you think any of these teams can be convinced to be sellers or do you think all of these teams are gonna be the opposite buying to get into the playoffs I think St. Louis
2: goes cellar. Good.
0: Okay. I, I think St. Louis and the Florida have to be either doing very little or in cellar because their hands are kind of tied cap-wise unless they do give up pieces.
2: And that's where I'm at with Nashville too. I, I just like I look at their roster and I'm like, what do you do? What do you do if you're – Nashville, to me, is another team that is stuck in the dreaded middle. Yep. Like like they squeak in last year on the last day and get blown out for four straight games by the Avs. And they look worse this year because imagine that. Matthew Shane, Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Roman Yossi aren't all having career years. Who could have seen
1: this coming? Yeah, the the Nashville regression was predictable. I, I do think Florida is one of the more interesting ones, right? Because Florida is pinned to this Bobrovsky cap hit that is just crushing them, right? The rest of that team you feel okay about even if they haven't played that well this year and you've seen some regression here and there. It's just what do you, what do you do? Can you reasonably sell any of these assets? Because no one's no one's buying Bobrovsky off you. Let's be honest; you're not getting so, so out of that.
2: I was going to ask what what how many years are left on the Bob deal? Do we know? Is it three?
1: It is three after this one. After yeah.
2: this season, is there anybody you can get to bite on that if you ate half like Buffalo?
1: I, I guess also so. does he have
2: a does he have a no move?
1: Uh he probably does. He does. Look. Yeah, yeah, that's uh it's a sixteen well, team did. list, so not a full, but
2: I, I don't know. I just like I I look at like could could you get Arizona or Anaheim if you know they decide they want to move on from John Gibson and get some could could you get a team to do um like what Toronto did ish? Last year with uh, Mirazik, where they literally just paid Chicago to make him go away. Could you, you know, trade on uh, Sergey Bobrovsky and a second to Buffalo for future considerations, just
1: to like? I mean, the problem is problem? you're retaining half there probably still, right?
2: Right, but I mean, I guess hundred percent. And, and my only thing is, I guess $5 million a year for the next three years is easier to swallow than 10 million. You're not wrong. But but I, the point being, I don't even know if you could. I don't know if you get a team that hasn't had a goalie for a decade to take that contract. Like, I don't even know if you could do that.
0: What is John Gibson's current contract?
1: I don't think that I, – I genuinely think his contract is borderline unmovable, in part because of some of the teams that we're used to seeing – as the bottom feeders, the guys that take on all those contracts. Arizona's terrible this year, but they have a goal in mind of starting to move up in a direction with, hopefully for them, Connor Bedard. Logan Cooley's already in the wings. They're trying to build towards something instead of just eating every team's dead cap for eternity now. You have Buffalo, who I'm not going to say it's good, but they've gotten over the Jack Eichel situation. They're a team in the middle instead of just at the absolute floor of the league. And they
2: seem like they're moving in a positive direction for the first time, I don't know, ever.
1: In my life, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, it's for the first time ever in Buffalo. It feels like, hey, things aren't so bad.
1: Which is, the bar is low. But right teams that are, feel like they're making progress are not the teams that are going to say, hey, we want to take your dead cap. Sure, we'll help you out. So Well, then...
2: Like San Jose is the other one, just a goalie farm over there. But yeah, like they're you know they got Eric Carlson's fucking bad deal to deal with. Like they're not trying to take on anything else,
1: right? And that's it's kind of the existence of the league is is the teams that end up at the bottom often have their own deathly well, do, terrible contracts. Right. I do think that. The
2: league is shifting a bit, and it's something we've talked about over the last couple of years. It's part of the reason why the ABS have embraced what they have in net. I think teams have just realized, and maybe even started by Bobrovsky, you just don't really know what you're going to get year in, year out, save for three to five goalies in the league, where you feel pretty comfortable with what you'll get from one season to the next.
1: Yeah. I... I mean, I think it's. I I don't think it's even just Bob. You look at obviously no, the no. way the Carey Price deal played out. It it's tough.
2: Hundred percent. And 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 yeah, I just I I think that what Andre Vasilevsky in his second year, but but even him, Igor Shosturkin. Uh, what? You Soros.
1: Even Soros at times.
2: Sure.
0: He had a, yep. Tough start
1: this year mm-hmm. um it, it, the I fact mean, who, that you're who, right that you're proving your point by having right. to sit here and think about it
2: <laughs> right, of, of like who are like the hard reliable goalies and Hellebuck, really I'm, I'm, i
1: guess yeah Hellebuck,
2: yeah yeah even his down years are still average to above yeah. average and so it's just there's not very many of those guys it was john gibson up until these last couple of years poor guy um, but so I just I, I, and I think that the Bobrovsky one and then you're right Rudo followed by the Kerry Price deal were just two very cautionary tales of like hey goalie contracts can age horribly three months after you sign them and then can look really good for two years and then go back to looking terrible for the next two years yeah. It's just, I, I, I just think you, you're you going to be hard-pressed to find teams that, A, hand out those contracts in the future, and B, are inclined to all do help Florida out, because there is just such a wide range of what kind of Sergey Bobrovsky you're going to get.
1: So, I, I do want to hone in on Nashville a little bit, and AJ was the one who came up with this and then skipped out on the pod today, so... I don't know what AJ's thoughts were exactly about this uh, this idea with the Predators, but when I look at their lineup at their roster, look, if they decide they want to be sellers, the big name that they could be looking to move, Nino Niederreiter. Mm-hmm. Huh,
0: interesting.
2: That was a guy that I thought was a was a good fit for the Abs in the off season.
0: I yep. so
2: would have liked him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I think, <sighs> I think things are going to have to get much worse standings-wise for the Preds to go seller. I I just think, Yeah. I also think Poyle needs to be done. I, I think they need to replace
1: that dude. He also never sells.
2: <laughs> right, right. Him and Lou Lamorello, dude, I, I'm just like, we got to move on. These dudes get so much goodwill from hockey media because of trades they made 15 years ago.
1: I Does Lou still get any good press? Oh, yeah, I think oh, everyone yeah. hates Lou now.
2: <laughs> well, I think everyone hates Lou because he's like the captain of the team. No fun. No but kidding. like people saw him I'm like, oh, what a savvy GM. That one day I was saying this on the show and AJ was like personally offended that I was saying this. <laughs> I was like, bro, when was the last time you were like, wow, Lou Lamorello really pulled the wool over on someone? Like, just him and David Poyle are just making mediocre deal after mediocre deal and settling their team harder and harder into the middle of the league every year. And then to your point, Ruto, neither of them will ever do anything to make them better.
1: The thing that Poyle used to be really good at was somehow magicking. Nashville's guys into staying on insanely cheap contracts. Right. And then he stopped being good at that and they immediately ran into cap problems. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah, he lost he lost Ryan Souter to free agency and then made the Shea Weber trade. And after that, I don't you know, Ryan Souter, what can you do? He's a UFA. And Does she he- the Weber deal was worked out fine for both, worked out okay. But like that, past
1: that, you, now he's paying eight dudes over the age of 36 million dollars or more. <laughs> like, right. He gave up a ton of assets to get,
2: uh, oh, that is so funny. He gave up a ton of assets to get Kyle Turris and then let him walk and then signed Matt Duchesne, anyways, to a huge number.
1: Yeah. One, two, three, three players over the age of 30 to $8 million or more. And then another three players at $5 million or more over the age of 30. Their defense is insanely aging stacked.
2: Bro, between Vancouver and Nashville, I feel like we're talking about two people who are playing NHL 23 GM mode with no intentions of playing beyond, like franchise mode, I'm playing to win the cup
1: this year and I'm putting this game down.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll just start over. Like that's how, that's how I feel like we're talking about David Poyle and, and and the Vancouver Canucks contracts that they've handed out. It's like, what are you doing?
0: Nashville actually would have a chance to seek a pretty decent return. If they did consider someone like Nino Niederreiter. Yeah. I worry about their offensive tools being just limited to the top six. And so losing a key piece of that would have to require a promising return. And I don't have a lot of trust that Nashville has scouted that very well, but they are in a much better position than Vancouver to be. Very true. In consideration around the deadline, but they probably won't. And, and the, it'll remain they, unchanged. They also have,
2: in my opinion, the most Overrated top six in the NHL. People talk about Philip Forsberg like he's Leon Dreisaitl. Up until last year, the dude had never even broken 65 points. And then last year in the year that offense exploded in the NHL, he hit 84. But, like, it's Philip Forsberg, Matthew Shane, and then Yo- uh, Ryan Johansson, who has fallen off a cliff relative to what he used to be offensively. I just like I look at that team like you guys got they have good top six players signed to great top six player money on long term deals. I I, I thought them not trading Philip Forsberg at last year's deadline was a huge mistake. You knew you knew what you were barreling towards in the playoffs. It was Calgary or Colorado. You knew you were heading to that. And again, I think they got caught up in, well, maybe. Remember that one year we swept Chicago when no one thought we would? And now here they are. I think they're going to miss the playoffs this this year. And you had a bunch of bad contracts for a bunch of average to above average players. I don't get why we keep talking about David Poyle and Lulee Morello like they know what they're doing.
1: (laughs) It's... It's weird to be in Nashville because they tried. They spent the better part of the last decade trying to find a true 1C and just couldn't do it. Yep. And they still haven't really done it.
2: <laughs> and, it's, and it's because not to make – I hate that I'm making a second analogy. But, like, the Broncos with their quarterback. Instead of doing it correctly once – They've tried to sign free agents and make trades and have hemorrhaged assets and cash the Predators have in order to try to find a 1C. Like, stop trading draft picks and just go draft a future 1C and develop him. You tried to make Ryan Johansson into one. You tried to make Kyle Turris into one. And now you're trying to make Matt Duchesne into one. All of those guys have track records that say this is not who they are. Stop paying first-round picks and $8 million a year for them.
1: If anyone can tell you from experience, Matt Duchesne's not really a one C. It's us,
2: and that's why the Abs were so bad in the 2010s. The Abs tried to shortcut <laughs> a rebuild for years. On on D, their Johnson trade <clears throat> every summer. You know they were going out, bringing in guys like Francois Beauchemin and stuff. They were trying to take the shortcut, and it doesn't work. You just got you got to you got to commit to doing it right once, and you're good for 15 years. The Preds have tried to free agent or trade the most important offensive piece now for a decade.
0: It's actually a really fair comparison to how this was handled so differently because Duchesne, Ryan O'Reilly, to a different extent, Stasny were once considered a part of the core that this team was built around and they had to blow that up. And similarly, when it was a McKinnon-Seth Jones conversation in the draft, that was the reason why I think there was fan perception and interest in Jones, but why from an organizational standpoint – Jones was not a very good option for this team because they couldn't develop defensemen at that time, but they had a need for it. I think that's why it was tempting and why the fan perception was to pursue Jones. But I think it's why it was ultimately the very correct decision to go with a McKinnon because they had the tools to build around a player like McKinnon and develop him versus defensemen where they were still trying to fill that need. And they just weren't equipped to do that. I think Dash was in a similar position. And, and they, and they, had a situation
2: to drop Nathan McKinnon in that he could be successful in. To your point, it's not even that they were struggling to develop defensemen. No.
0: Dropping wasn't.
2: Seth <laughs> dropping Seth Jones onto that team, that, that wouldn't have done him any good.
0: That oh. wouldn't have done him
2: any good. That wouldn't have done the abs any good. You got Nathan McKinnon and people forget Nathan McKinnon skated a lot of the first part of that year on the third line. Small yep. minutes, you know, not not a ton of Uh, time power play specialist. And it wasn't till near the end of the year that he worked himself up to play on the wing with Paul Stasny and Gabe Landeskog. So even he was in a very sheltered role relative to what we know him as now. And I could not agree with you more, Megan. That's why when you, especially now that you look back on it, but in that moment, why that pick I thought made so much more sense than Seth Jones, because you are in a situation to help this guy be successful right now. And again, going back to the Predators, strapping Matt Duchesne with a couple other guys who are being asked to play over their head isn't going to make him into a bona fide 1C.
0: I think even going into their decor, outside of their top pairing, like Ryan McDonough was a f- fine mm-hmm. addition, but yeah. like they outside of the top pair, they also don't have a lot of solutions defensively for the future. I, I say that with an asterisk by it. I don't mean that as definitively as it sounds, but it it does pose risk there too. That has not been answered
2: for, for a team that once had a decor similar to what the abs kind of looked like last year. They turned it from national had it as a position of strength said, cool, we can deal from a position of strength and they went too far. And now to your point, their decor is in really rough shape outside. It's a
1: team clinging to a window. That's no longer open. Yeah. Um, Now, when you talk about these teams in the murky middle, would you guys say that they get there by accident? I would.
0: I would say that. Weaponized
1: incompetence. Incompetence? Okay. Uh, Well, someone is incompetent when it comes to every accident. Hopefully it's not you. (laughs) Uh, If you are not at fault and you've been in an accident, whether it be motorcycle, car, in a rideshare situation, a pedestrian, trucks, or even if you are injured at work, Bacchus and Shanker is here to help you. They win for Colorado families. They've been doing it for more than 25 years, as I'm sure you know. If you've watched television in the state of Colorado, you probably know who Bacchus and Shanker are at this point. Uh, they, they're great at what they do. They've won a billion dollars for their clients over the years. So they really do sit there. And, and the best part is they're completely free until you win. They cost you $0 for a consultation. They cost you $0 upfront for all of the work that they do. And then when you win, they get a little bit to, you know, keep the lights on on their side. So they will cost you nothing if things don't pan out. You got to check them out. Their phone number is the easiest phone number on planet Earth. Two, 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 two. Just hit a bunch of twos and you'll end up there. Uh, conveniently enough, being 22nd in the league would also probably mean you're in the murky middle. So it lines up on that front. Uh, you got to check out Bacchus and Shanker. Uh, they have more than 30 lawyers uh, on staff. So as well as 100 when it comes to legal aids and things like that. Uh, They help with all kinds of injuries, as I already mentioned, and they can be reached at that two number. That's what I'm calling it now, the two number for completely free. Go check them out today. And make sure you're looking good with Pins and Aces, our official golf apparel merchandiser for you. They've got, you know, the usual golf merch, which includes like hats, shirts, pants, shoes, that kind of stuff. They also have beer sleeves, which you can put right in your golf bag. Take seven beers onto the course with you in your golf bag. You don't have to hassle with them trying to carry them and and being all awkward and stuff like that. When you use code DNVR with them, you can get 15% off and free shipping. So check them out at pinsandaces.com. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I mean, just being honest here, we're we're really still too far out to confidently say anyone's going to be a buyer or seller, other than the true bottom feeders at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so take this with a grain of salt. But it's really, really interesting to me to see the division in the West and the East, because you have a bunch of teams in the East where you're talking about the New York Islanders at 50 points. Could they consider selling? You look at the West and you go, yeah, you know, St. Louis at 47 points, are they going to sell? I don't know. There's just not as as clear of a division to me in the East where there's a bunch of teams stuck in that three to six range of their division.
2: The the East is really funny because I think – in the East, more so than the West, you have teams that are entering into the backside of their rebuild. Yeah. Ottawa, Detroit, Montreal, you can make the argument. Uh, really, I look out East, and I, I say Philly, Columbus.
1: Okay, you've named the easy two. Proud of you
2: philly columbus and then i don't know here here's the next question what do some of these teams have to sell it's a
1: fair point
0: columbus is in a weird position
1: like like
2: what what is what does ottawa or detroit have that interests anybody else in the league
1: i mean i think detroit has some stuff like what Depending on what you need, uh, the sixth defenseman, you could take four dudes off their roster for that role. Um, yeah. Forward side less interesting unless they want to do the big thing with Dylan Larkin, which I sure. don't think they'll do. But
2: right, I think he stays. Yeah, I don't know. See, I, I just, I look at, I look at Montreal, Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo, and to me, those are four teams that I, I, I think are in that kind of second phase of what we were talking about where it's like, well, now we're trying to assess what we have and what sticks. Those to me seem like more off season. Let's do some stuff. I just, I just don't see a ton of big name options. I think a lot of those teams that you'd look to sell out East are on the upswing. Even if it's still not good, they're working in the right direction.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough. Columbus is really pretty thin. I guess if they really wanted to sell Nyquist, they could.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Ottawa, man, yeah. Ottawa's just not in a spot to be selling anything. Really, are right. they? Right. Nick Holden, maybe. If what does he even have any value at this point? Like right
0: like a lateral move
1: whatever that return is yeah yeah it's it's tough and that's the reality i think you bring up a really good point here jesse because everyone's like oh well they'll just go to the seller and be able to get the sellers the usually are teams full of bad hockey players right
2: right I, I almost feel like you have to and i'm trying to think of who
1: the example was last
2: year but like you'll you'll see teams every now and then like you know, whoever it was that originally mentioned Nino Niederreiter. Like you see those deals every now and then where it's like, cool. That's a guy who can help them or at worst they'll flip him at the deadline. Phil Kessel to Vegas at the beginning of the year. I think we all knew that Vegas was going to be better than what we saw last year, but that was also the conversation of if things do continue to go bad for Vegas, well, you just sell Phil Kessel. And now that's an asset that brings something back for you. I, I like, I think Arizona, Anaheim, Chicago all have some guys that kind of fall into that
1: mix. The West is much more celery, I agree.
2: As were the teams out East, I I just don't think those teams have put themselves in a good position to sell. As we're out West, I look at St. Louis, Vancouver, San Jose, Arizona, Anaheim, and Chicago all as teams that A, could be sellers and B would have stuff that I think people would be interested in buying.
0: Yeah,
1: it's, and, and, you know, there's, there is some mix of that. I think why you see that for some teams like Columbus is they didn't go into this year thinking they were going to be sellers.
0: Right. Uh, right. Yeah. There's an
1: advantage on, on the Western side, certainly with Chicago and Arizona, everybody uh, already knew they were going to be selling this year. So, but like, so Chicago, like I love them signing Max Domi. Going to work out really well for them too,
2: right? Because you're like, cool. Worst case, it's an it's an NHL player on a roster that will be full of guys who aren't. And at best, he has a decent year, and we flip him for something that is more used to us. Immediately, um, and I just, I think. Some of those teams out east maybe overestimated where they would be. Um, like I I don't think anybody thought Boston was gonna be this good, but that was a team that I think several teams out east were identifying as that's a vulnerable team whose spot we could maybe take. Washington. Um, you know, you saw the Islanders followed it last year. People weren't expecting New Jersey to be in the mix. I think there were some teams out east that thought the bottom half of that conference was a little bit more wide open than it's turned out to be. And they kind of put themselves in a situation where all they can do is sit and watch.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really hard. It's really hard for NHL teams to turn the corner. I, in some ways I felt like Detroit jumped the gun a little bit with some of the moves they made this offseason. Now some of those moves are good, but some of them, Felt like moves for teams that's ready to start to push for contention. And they're clearly not quite there yet. I agree. Um, it's it's hard. There's a reason. Look, there's 32 teams in the league. Seven to ten of them have to get stuck in the middle. And none of them are trying to be there. So it is what it is. is we have a couple of super chats coming in here. It's the stuck
2: that's a problem. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being in the middle for a year or two. It's when you're stuck there is when it becomes an issue.
1: Uh, I I don't know what the first part of that says, but I know the second part says Houdon. Uh, anyway, thank you for the $2 vaguely. Uh, and then $20 from the amazing Drew, who says, love you guys. If LA falls in the West, do you think they'd sell Kopitar at 50% retained? He does have another year left, and it would be 5 mil at 50%. I don't think so. I think Kopitar is a king for life.
2: I agree. And again, that's another team that Credit to them; they're they're looking to build on what they did last year. Yeah. I stand firm that a healthy Drew Doughty gets them out of that first round against the Oilers, and it completely changes the path that the Abs go um, to the Cup. So I, I, I think even if they were to stumble a bit, and you know, even if they were to miss, I I think they are looking at that as we're we're knocking on the door, and we'd rather have a guy like Kopitar than the assets he brings. He's more valuable than that to, to yeah, that I, team where they're at right now.
1: I agree. Uh, I think they need a little help defensively beyond just Doughty, but.
2: Mm-hmm. See, I, Seattle's the one team that we didn't mention in terms of, like, I think they could be a buyer and I think that would be a mistake. You've got house money, just fucking play with it and just yep. see what happens. Um,
1: no need to sell the farm and become Vegas.
2: Right, right. Yeah, so it's gonna
0: we, be interesting. We we thought Columbus is in a position to sell, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Who I, do you think Boone, is in know. consideration? Boone Jenner. No, that's what I wanted to. I think would yeah. be an thing player to look at moving. Yeah, uh,
2: he's I mean, he's really the only one that I like.
1: Him and
2: Nyquist,
1: I think, are the only two. Nyquist
2: yeah. stuff. I, I mean, oh, I guess never mind. Um, when all that uncertainty was going on with Line A, I thought that was a really – I thought that would have been a really fun one for the apps
1: I mean, with Line uh, A, we'd have never gotten the shooty version of Miko that they have now. So
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I don't know. That seems – you feel a little bad for Johnny Gaudreau. I don't think that's what he saw coming.
0: No, that's what makes their position the benefit of other buyers around the league, but it's not a good position for Columbus.
2: Holy fuck are they far back in the East. Holy
1: yeah, they're, shit. They're so bad, and it feels like they're stuck in the – Megan, I think you said we should start saying remix instead in the chat <laughs>
0: remix
1: <laughs> but real because they're stuck with Johnny Gaudreau forever. They're stuck with Patrick Linea for a while. Uh, their defense Zach is Warinski. a mess. War, actually a solid piece for them, but, but they also but have he, three he... more years of Eric Goodbranson. Like, yeah.
2: And again, I, I like Warinsky, but again, that's just another long-term dude where it's like that doesn't line up with your window here.
0: And is he hurt? Isn't it like season ending.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Him and Voracek. Wow. I I knew that they were having a bad year. I did not realize they are actually currently in last place in the NHL.
1: Yeah. No, it's really bad.
2: And they are 13 points behind the next closest team in the East. That's fucking wild, dude.
1: Okay. I'm good. Gilmore.
2: Any any other teams you want to touch on? Nope, I'm good. I'm
1: ready to go take a nap. Ooh, sounds good. Megan, you good? Yes. Okay. We're going to get out of here for the day. We appreciate all y'all hanging out with us, talking some hockey. Always fun to, to get around the league. It's, we want to probably try to do a show like this a little bit more often going forward. Getting um, close to all uh... – Trade deadline. Yeah, at at very least, go make sure you're watching the At the Rink pod with Jesse and Megan because they do get into a little bit more of those topics. So, <laughs> jump on that. Go shameless go plug. Thanks, Rudolph. <laughs> Thank
0: you, Rudo. Got Rudolph.
1: you. I got you. Uh, we will be back tomorrow and Saturday covering the games. I the expectation is I should be good enough to do a watch along by then. So, we'll see how the voice is doing. But we hope to see you all on the next one. And until then, we'll talk to you later.